Well, hey, good morning, men. Good to see you today. How we doing? Got some food, got some food in you, some rocket fuel, and uh, ready for our first seminar here? All right. Well, let me, uh, let me introduce myself uh, real quick, and then we'll have a word of prayer. My name's Josh. I'm um, from just down the, down the, the hill, uh, Fresno. Grew up most of my life spent in Fresno, then settled with my family there. And uh, we, uh, my wife Chris and I, we've been married for 26 years now, and we have three sons. Our oldest son, Noah, just graduated from uh, Cal Baptist down in Riverside, and he got a job in Fremont as a mechanical engineer. So it's kind of hard on mom that he's away from home, but we're proud of him. Um, our son, Sam's a, a junior over at Fresno State. He's running cross-country and track over there and a civil engineer major. And then our youngest son, Gabe, just graduated from Minarets High School, and he's uh, working at a gym, Fit Republic, and kind of trying to figure out what he wants to study right now. So he's kind of in that place at age 18. But we, uh, we love, uh, you know, our family. We're, we're part of the Well Community Church, if you guys are f- familiar, some of you might be. Um, so I'm the campus pastor for our North Midweek Service, our gathering in our Fig Garden campus, and then kind of oversee the other campus pastors and our Connections team. And Prior to that, I served at the Fresno Evangelical Free Church for 17 years, and I've been at the well now for about, for about six. So it is good to be here with you today, and I'm glad that you had the courage to come to a seminar about giving generously, because I know sometimes that can be a difficult topic. Some of us might get excited about the idea, but if we're honest, sometimes, especially when it's connected to church or uh, you know, religion, some of us might have a little PTSD, you know, if we were at a church that taught bad theology, like, hey, give $100 so God will give you 1000 and it'll support me in my private jet, you know, that kind of thing. Um, or we've just, uh, we just kind of don't, uh, you know, understand necessarily the concept. But the truth is, it's such an important topic that Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And uh, it is something that God meant for us to be foundational to life and also bring a lot of joy, actually, as well. So we're going to look at that. But let me, uh, let me have a word of prayer, and then we'll kind of jump in. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the uh, honor it is to be here with these men. Lord, this place, Hume Lake, is such a special place. I know in my own life, Lord God, as I think back on the years personally with my marriage, with my kids, with the ministries I've had the opportunity to serve with, I have seen you use this place to uh, lead people to faith in Christ, to disciple men and women and boys and girls and Uh, to just see lives transformed for the glory of Christ. And uh, we just pray that by your grace, that would continue through all that happens at this uh, retreat this weekend. And uh, we ask specifically for our time together now that your spirit would lead and guide us uh, as we talk about giving generously in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to share a little bit. And then when I'm done, if there's like Q&A or discussion with the time we have left, we'll, we'll do some of that as well. So giving generously, again, it is something that one of the reasons uh, churches, religions come under scrutiny, sometimes the reason we hesitate to invite our friends to church, we're afraid that's going to be the topic on the day we invite them. Um, that, that's kind of sometimes the, the, the feelings we get when we think about this topic. Uh, but it is important to talk about, absolutely. Uh, money has an extreme... Uh, Extremely important place in our lives, if you think about it, right? Um, and so just to, to be clear today, when we, when we think about giving generously, it includes all of our lives. It includes our time, our talent, and our treasure. But today, I'm really going to be focusing in on that treasure, that resource part 
of what it means to be generous. Uh, sometimes the temptation might be, well, let's talk about time, talent, and treasure. We'll spend 90% of time on the, the time and talent and maybe just give a, a caveat to, to treasure, but that's actually where we're going to focus today. Uh, and here's a couple interesting things to think about. God's Word has um, 500 verses on prayer, uh, which is an important topic, right? A little less than that on faith, but over 2,000 verses on money and resources. And so we're going we're gonna to look at each one of those verses here together. No, we're not. I'm, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. I won't do that to you. But it's interesting that Jesus also teaches more on possessions and money than he does faith or prayer. In fact, the only topic he actually does teach more on is the kingdom of God. 16 of his 38 parables deal with money and possessions. And uh, Jesus understands the power that money can have in our lives. He knows that it can be used either to accomplish God's purposes um, in our lives and in this world, or it can be used to lead us away from God's purposes or distort his purposes in our lives. Uh, this is something Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And again, he's blunt about this topic because he knows that at the end of the day, it's an issue of the heart. It's a heart issue. Um, and God will either take center stage in our lives or money and possessions will, but it can't be both. It's a heart issue. Um, now, if, if you're like me in some ways, we like to think that money doesn't really have that much influence. Like, hey, I'm a simple guy. Money doesn't have that much influence. But, but, but the truth is the, the allure of what wealth and money can, can offer us can be very, uh, very tempting, very attractive. Like, it will tell us things like, hey, if you have enough money, you will be a very important man. Uh, you will be safe and secure. Uh, you will, uh, you know, be able to determine your own destiny if you have enough money. And now, with all that said, looking at what Jesus said about the masters and even some of the things I just said, does that mean it's something we shouldn't really think or talk about or try to ignore? Absolutely not. Uh, money's a part of our world, and there's literally no way around it. In fact, God created a world and an economic system where we would be dependent on money and possessions. We, we live in a world where uh, money provides for our basic needs, like food, clothing, and shelter, and also some of the comforts and enjoyment that I think is also necessary for life. He created a system where we work and where we produce and where we need others to provide for the things of the world. So money allows us to interact with others, to work alongside others, um, to be in community and to be in relationships. So money is not the issue. Again, it's the heart that is the issue. And so we want to learn to sort of take control and submit to God uh, with our money so it doesn't take then control of us. Now, we're only going to, I was joking about the 2,000 verses, we're only going to look at two passages of Scripture this morning. And so if you got your Bibles and you want to turn there, the first one is Matthew 25, starting in verse uh, 14, where we have a parable of Jesus. And um, it's interesting that Jesus, you know, he, he teaches in parables so often. It wasn't necessarily typical of rabbinic Judaism to teach in parables, but this is something that Jesus does. He takes common experiences and events that we can easily relate to. And then he uses that to teach uh, 
theological truth or principle about the kingdom of, of God. Um, I've heard it called, uh, parables have been called earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. So, this parable is in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, parable of the talents. Let me just read a couple of verses here. It says, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. So uh, the master here represents God. The servants would represent those of us who, who follow Christ. And the uh, talent is actually, it's actually a unit of wealth. It's not, like when we think the word talent, we think of, oh, can you play a guitar? Can you sing? Can you dance? Can you build something, uh, you know, with your hands? This is actually talking about a unit of, of money. And each talent weighed anywhere between 58 to 80 pounds. And in terms of value is more like uh, 20 years of income. So that's, this is a lot of money that we're talking about here that these these servants, these slaves were entrusted with. And what we're going to see here is that the key uh, issue here is the sense of ownership. Um, do these slaves, do these servants view themselves as stewards of what their master has given them? Or do they view themselves as owners of what their master has given them? We're going we're to see that as it plays out. So verse uh, 16, it says, Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. So we can already see a contrast in how the three different servants deal with the resources that they've been given, okay? Now moving on to verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and bought, uh, brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And so what we see here is that when we steward well the things that God has given us, the, the result of that is joy. We see joy in the, the servants. We actually see joy in the response of the master that there's actually a joy that comes to the heart of God when we view ourselves as stewards of what he has given us. And then we look at verse 24 and see something different happen. It says, and the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So this last servant, um, he kind of knows he's in trouble. So he chooses uh, because he chose to do nothing with what God had given him. In a sense, what he did is he tried to keep it for himself. And we might say, well, what, what's going on here? It seems like he's, he's not taking responsibility. He's kind of blaming the master, really, if you, if you look at this. And one commentator says this. He says, um, if the master had failed to return, the servant wanted to be able to keep the talent for himself. 
He did not want to deposit the talent in a bank where it would be recorded that the talent belonged to the master. So sometimes we think, well, he was just afraid that he couldn't do it, so he hid it. But actually, there's probably something um, deeper going on here. There was a sense of selfishness. Like, if I hide this talent, master's going away, he might just completely forget about it. And if I don't record that's in the bank belonging to him, I'll get to keep it. That's 20 years of income. I mean, I wouldn't mind having 20 years of income just sort of handed to me, right? Um, so there's, there's a selfishness here. And I think, again, for the key of, of what we're talking about this morning, there's a sense that he's the owner of it. Like, the master gave it to me, and now it's mine. Or we could look at our lives and say, what has God given me? And then am I a steward of what God has given me, or am I the owner of what God has given me? <clears throat> and it's also important to look at his view of his master who represents God. He sees him as a hard, stingy, sort of uh, harsh man. And you know, how we view God will change really everything in our own lives. See, if we view God as um, harsh, stingy, um, that God doesn't want to uh, help us or provide for us, then we will also have that sort of scarcity mindset of clinging to everything and being stingy with what we have because, well, God doesn't really care about me because he's a harsh God, so I've got to be, you know, very guarded with everything that I have. And it hinders then generosity and an openness. Um, but Jesus, in contrast, would say, no, be faithful to what God gives you, be generous with what God gives you, and then see what God does with it. And in the case of these other servants, they actually see what they have multiplied. So we must remember the generosity of God. And you think about how generous God has been with us. I mean, being, being here, right at Hume Lake, this is such a, a special place, as I mentioned in my prayers. Even as I was coming down the, the road, um, just memories are flooding through my mind of, oh, I remember being here with the college group when I was a college pastor, or with my wife for a couple's retreat, or a men's retreat that I've, I've been on, or bringing my kids to camp, um, you know, swimming in the lake, you know, all these memories. And you look at the beauty of the creation, just the, the mountains, the trees. Uh, it's, it's incredible to see the sun rising over those mountains. And we think our God is such a creative, generous God. Like he didn't have to make creation look awesome. Like it could look horrible. It could be like Tatooine and Star Wars or something, right? And there are some places like that. But it's, it's beautiful. It's just God is a creative, generous God with his creation. And you think about some of the other ways God has been generous to us, like food. I don't know about you, but I love to eat, and I love to try all kinds of new foods, and a lot of food is delicious. Food didn't have to be delicious. It could have tasted awful, just enough to get us to survive, and some things do taste awful. But, but the point is, God's generous in that. And think about, uh, right, procreation, right? Sex is wonderful. It's a gift, that didn't have to be enjoyable either. It could have just been something that we have to do to keep the human species going. But God made it enjoyable because God is generous with us. We have a generous God. And, of course, there's no greater generosity than what we see in the gospel. But God, being rich in mercy, Ephesians tells us, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The, God sees us in the depth of our depravity and sin. He, he knows us intimately. Even the thoughts that we dwell upon, 
And because he's rich in mercy, Christ died in our place and made us alive when we were dead. We weren't even seeking God. And he was seeking after us because he has a generous heart. Romans 8, uh, 31 and 32 tell us, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So we see that the gospel puts on display the generous heart of God for all of us. That God would come in a human body and bear the weight of the world upon himself and rise from the dead in love to defeat Satan, to defeat death, and to defeat sin. So our view of God is important. Forgiveness, redemption, eternal life, the generosity of God, the compassion of God, the Holy Spirit who's given to live within us, all of this reflects his generous heart. And so as we look at this parable then, we see a generous heart of God that would be represented in this owner. And therefore, we can be generous with the things that God has given us also beyond creation and, uh, and all the other things I mentioned. Also, whatever those particular resources that the Lord has given you, uh, we recognize we are, we are stewards of this. Um, he's provider. He's owner. Psalm 24.1 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so understanding that God is owner of everything is the first principle of managing what he has given us well. The first principle of being a good steward. Um, or I should say that's the first principle I wanted to communicate clearly is that God is the owner. The second principle is, is that we are called then to be good stewards, which I've kind of already emphasized a bit. But we want to wisely manage and invest the wealth that God has given us. And you know, it's interesting, men, when we choose to handle God's resources, God's wealth, God's way, it actually allows us to make uh, wiser decisions financially that will actually, the fruit of that will be usually to bless our lives in particular ways because we, we become more serious about things like budgeting our money and saving money and giving money wisely and just making wiser financial decisions overall. You know, early on in my personal journey with Christ, I... Um, I didn't understand this. I think I met Mitch back in my early years when I was like maybe in college. I remember hearing you speak, Mitch, at uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And just, uh, anyways, just wanted to point that out because this, this is an awesome man of God right here. But um, in those early years, I was, I was understanding, okay, I got to read my Bible. And, you know, I was in a great college ministry with a man named Joe Broussard. But when they started to talk about money, I kind of resisted, to be honest with you. And I didn't, I didn't really see the value of the tithe. And this was just me sort of being a little bit stubborn and rebellious in my own heart. Because I would look at the pastor and say, well, you know, I'm a college student, right, driving a beater around, and I go, he's got a pretty nice car, he's got a nice suit he wears, I don't, he doesn't need my money, you know, the church is fine, they're doing great, um, I'll just give when I feel like it. You know, we know that doesn't work, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, I'll go to the gym when I feel like it. I'll eat vegetables when I feel like it. Well, that doesn't come around too often. It usually takes a little bit of intentionality. But I remember part of it for me was I grew up in the 80s, so I remember sort of the, uh, the Jim Bakers and, you know, the different televangelists who were building these empires and they were kind of like, you know, they had the crazy hairdos and, you know, they were making people follow. I mean, it's just all kinds of crazy stuff and it's like give money and, you know, you're going you're gonna to get rich and then all these scandals came out. And so I was a little bit turned off to the whole thing, but um, I began to realize it was a part of my discipleship. Oh, one, uh, one story I will tell you about that. I would give emotionally. So I remember at 19 years old, I'm at this missions conference called Urbana, right? It's uh, 20,000 college students from all over the world. 
And the last night we're worshiping, we're in this basketball arena. It's just incredible, right? We're taking communion. And I remember they said, uh, they put this video on the Jumbotron and they're like, can you give money to the, the kids who are starving, right? It was one of the Compassion International Ministries or something. So I pulled out my wallet and I took all the cash I had and I'm, I'm going to give to the kids, right? And I threw it in the bucket. And then on the way home, um, I didn't have any money for like food and gas. So I'm like, hey, dude, can you buy my burrito? Because like I'm out of money, right? <laughs> that is not being a good steward. That was just basically saying I'm the owner of, of all this stuff. So I found out later that giving regularly and proportionally was actually the call that God had to continue further deepen my discipleship. And it was a very key issue. It wasn't easy, but stepping out in faith um, and being stretched is something we need to do in all the areas of our Christian life, right? When it comes to prayer, sharing our faith, reading our Bibles, serving with our time and talents, um, just allowing God to grow us in how we treat others, to love them well and to forgive. And, and that would also include then the discipleship of our resources. Um, God even says in Malachi 3 to test me when it comes to money and generosity. So, so I had to learn of what does it mean to not think of myself as an owner even when I didn't have necessarily a lot of resource, um, but what does it mean to really be a steward of God's resources? And I'll be honest, it's not like I've got this master. This is a continual struggle point for me, and, and maybe it is for you as well. And that's a question we might even ask ourselves. When I consider my own life, am I behaving more like an owner or a steward with what God has given me? Okay, so with an understanding that our generous God is the owner of all our resources, and that we are called to be good stewards of God's resources. The next question is, what does it look like to be a faithful steward with our money and resources? So I want to go to the other text then, which is 1 Timothy 6. So again, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there. 1 Timothy 6. We're going to look at just three verses there, verses 17 through 19. And in Timothy here, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, one of the young men that he's discipled, Timothy, who's now a pastor in a very wealthy city in Asia Minor called Ephesus. Maybe some of you have, have seen, you know, been there. I got to visit there a couple years ago. This was an incredibly wealthy city and uh, a lot of things going on in this city. But uh, <clears throat> it's uh, in modern day Turkey in the mid 60s. Uh, this is about when this letter is being written. And if you want to see the story of the church being planted there, it's in Acts chapter 19. But but anyways, we're going to look at 1 Timothy 6 here. And um, let me read it to you, these verses. Start, start in verse 17. It says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And I want to just zero in on that, those last words there, that which is life indeed. Some translations say that which is true life. And there's something key there. Because deep down, that's what all of us really want. That's what the world wants, is this idea that I'm experiencing life to the fullness, that I'm, I'm experiencing a full life. It's, it's life indeed. This is what we are, how we're supposed to live. This is the way life is supposed to be experienced, right? It doesn't mean we're not going to have the ups and downs and the trials and all that stuff, but, but there's this sense that I'm living sort of as, as followers of Christ, that I'm living into the fullness 
of what God has for me. And um, notice what um, we're not told here is life indeed, right? We're not told that, hey, it's being famous. It's being the, the richest guy. It's having the most power, having the most people that report to you on an org chart. Like none of that is described as life indeed or true life. But what is described here actually is he says uh, to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. Isn't that interesting? That's, that's something that every person can live out, um, whether God has blessed you with a vast amount of resource or a small amount. We can give of our time to serve and live out good works, and we can be generous and ready to share with that which God has given us. Um, and that's what Paul says is life indeed, true life. Now understand, he's not talking about doing that for salvation because salvation is in Christ alone, through faith in Christ alone and completely on his work on the cross and his resurrection. But once we're in Christ, we can live this life that he's called us to and experience a fullness. So um, let's take a moment then and ask, like, who is, who is rich? Because, you know, we may think, I'm not rich. Um, the guy sitting next to me, he's rich, but not me. Right, the guy down the street, he's rich. Or in a different part of town, he's rich. But, but let's think about it for just a minute. Um, I enjoyed a nice breakfast this morning here at Hume, and I even ate a little bit on the way up as well. Um, I had dinner every night this week if I wanted to. I had choices of what I wanted to eat. Um, I, uh, I got to choose what clothes I wanted to wear. I've got a closet full. I have a car that I was able to drive here. And you know, if, if we're able to eat food that we choose on a regular basis and wear clothes that we choose to drive a car, then we are in the top percentage of the world. Some would say the top 1% of the world. If you make $34,000 or more a year, you're actually in the top 1% globally. Um, or to put it another way, if you have those choices that I just described, that I have, then that's actually, that's wealth. That, that would be considered to be rich and wealthy in today's global economy. So when we read about God wanting to speak to those rich um, in this present world, that would include really all of us. Um, we are in that category because God has provided us with all these, these things to enjoy. And um, we're stewards of these things, right? So some questions to ask, and maybe you already are, is God, what do you want me to do with my treasure and my resources, with even my money? Like just um, don't necessarily let someone else tell you, but you spend time with the Lord and you ask him, God, what do you want me to do with the resources that you've blessed me with? Um, and express to God sort of what might be called a prayer of intention. God, I want to live this full life that you describe here, giving of good works and being generous and ready to share with what I have. Lead me. Holy Spirit, lead me and show me what that might look like. Bless you, yeah. And even sometimes it's good to ask people who you know in your life who are generous and to just pick their brain a little bit and talk to them as well. Um, you know, we can look back on our lives. I know I can and, and wish sometimes, ah, I wish I'd saved a little more, gotten out of debt a little more efficiently, uh, maybe invested more wisely for retirement. Um, and those things are good, but sometimes we may also want to say, Lord, would you also give me a motive um, if I was to have more wealth that it's so that I could actually be more generous? Like, let that be one of the motives 
along with the other good motives, let this also be a motive. That I would want more money, not just for sort of a sense of security, but also for the blessing of generosity. Um, it's what matters most for peace of mind. Look again at verse 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the what? The uncertainty of riches. The uncertainty. Notice, uh, and just a side note, that we're told also um, we put our hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So if I haven't made it clear, I want to make it clear now that there's nothing wrong with having wealth. Um, God has given us all that we have to enjoy. So, and even in the parable, you see there's a measure of different wealth that different servants had based on their capacity to be stewards of it. So, so let's be very clear that God has blessed some with great amounts of wealth, and that's not at all a bad thing. In fact, God has given us, all of us enjoy many comforts that would be beyond the basic necessities of life, and God's given that to us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy life, so um, that's a good thing to consider. But notice that if we fix our hope on riches, like this is where I find my hope and my meaning and my sense of importance and value, it's the uncertainty of it all. This was uh, interesting. There was a study done by Harvard University not long ago where they surveyed people and they asked the question, how much money would you need to earn annually to feel secure? And, and here's what's interesting. Everybody who, whatever they made, they always wanted a little more. So they asked the crowd of people who made $30,000. And they all said, if I could make $60,000, that'd be great. So just double it and I'm secure. Then they talked to folks who made about $50,000 a year and they all said, 100000 and I'll feel secure. You can kind of see where this is going. If they made $250,000 a year, they said, I need to make 500000 So what did they, you know, $500,000 a year, what do you think they said? A million. Here's something interesting. For those who made a million dollars annually, guess what they said they needed to feel secure? So almost, yeah, $5 million. $5 million. So it's interesting that the more wealth people had, the more they needed to make in their mind annually to feel secure. Whereas the guy who's making $30,000, he's down at sixty, right? But, but the point is, the problem isn't money. The problem is where the hope is put. Where is the hope placed? On God, who is certain, or on wealth, which is uncertain? And that would lead to the insecurity. Where we set our hope is where our hearts will go. And uncertain things will lead to a heart of uncertainty. But if our hope is in God, who is trustworthy, our hope will go to God, and it will be certain. It will be a hopeful heart. And God wants, I believe, you and I to have strong, hopeful hearts. Hearts that are certain of our salvation. Hearts that are certain that God is with us. Hearts that are certain that God has called you and I into his family and to be his representatives in this world. And that what we have he has given us and blessed us with to be stewards. And that's the roadmap to true life, we're told here. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. So one way to view generosity, um, I've heard this definition, it's to rightly put our generous God in place as an owner of all things and our source of true hope. And then to rightly steward all that he has given us and to share his heart for generosity. 
Jesus himself said this in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And uh, we may believe that principle, but putting it into action sometimes, moving it from our head to our hearts can be challenging. So let me give you three sort of ways to take action with giving. One is to make it regular. Two is to do it proportionately. And then three would be to do it in community. And I'll explain that. To give it regularly would just be saying, okay, if there's a vision of consistent giving in Scripture, um, I want to have a consistent capacity to give in my own life. And, you know, we kind of know that's true with just about everything in life that is of value and importance, any sort of new habit or discipline that we're trying to implement into our lives, we know consistency is key, right? I mean, you know, for those of you, if you, you got kids, right, and they're like, well, I'll do my homework when I feel like it. You know, we know that's not going to work in the long haul to get the grades or, or just you think of anything in life, whether it's wanting to get a workout routine or a, a routine of reading scripture or just showing up to work on time, right? All these things, it's consistency that is, uh, is key. I was talking to a young guy uh, recently, um, we were out running together in a group, and he said, I got fired from my job, you know, and I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I said, how'd that happen? He said, well, I had three strikes and you're out. I showed up late twice, and then I didn't show up to work at all a third time. And I go, that'll get you fired. <laughs> That's not consistency. And, uh, you know, so we can correct that. That's an easy correction just with your next job, right? But, but the point is consistency, right? And that's where I was complete, not a consistent giver in my early years of discipleship. And even today, it can still be a challenge at times. But the second thing is proportionate. So the Bible does have a word. They talk about the tithe. And the whole concept with the tithe, which originates in the Old Testament, is to give 10% um, and live off 90%. And you might make a principle today, I've heard many that I think is very helpful, is give 10%, save 10%, and then live off the 80% after the government takes, you know, 40 of it. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, um, but where does this idea come from? So Genesis 14, Abraham gives the first, uh, first sort of tenth of his possessions to Melchizedek. Then Jacob vowed in Genesis 28, 20 to give a tenth of all he had to God. But we really see it take shape and form as a concept lived out in the, uh, the Pentateuch, in the book of Leviticus, starting around chapter 27, and Deuteronomy, rather, um, as well. So Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. So um, there's other sorts of giving that was in the Old Testament, free will offerings, uh, sacrifice offerings. In the book of 2 Chronicles 31, when King Hezekiah was on the throne, a great spiritual revival, uh, evidence of that was the generosity of the people uh, bringing their gifts to the temple. Um, that's Old Testament. New Testament puts it kind of simple. 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 8 just simply say this. Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So the exhortation here is not to be a legalistic giver. While we do want to implement some consistent, disciplined practices, the hope and the goal is to be a joyful giver with what we feel between us and the Lord God has set in our hearts. So often the tithe is looked at as a great goal to aspire towards, um, and, uh, but it's not a legalistic command. I do want to be clear on that. It's not mandated in the New Testament. Um, the New Testament talks about grace giving. But we do want to consider the fact that it was very consistently practiced in the Old Testament and that we're kind of always called to sort of take the practices of the Old Testament 
kind of to the heart and almost sometimes take them maybe to the next level. But, but it is a decision between you, the Lord, in his word, in prayer, and with godly counsel, I would also say. That's kind of where the community comes in a bit. And so just, again, a little bit on my journey with that. My wife, Chris, and I, um, you know, several years ago, we were uh, facing some pretty significant debt. Um, we were not able to tithe 10%. But we came to a point where we realized this needs to be a consistent practice in our lives. Where we were at at that time to jump from what we were giving to 10% consistently might have been a little bit too much of a stretch. So we set a goal. And we said, okay, as we pay this debt down, um, we're going to consistently give. I think we started like 2%. Every check, though, we're going to give 2% of what we earn. And then in three months, we'll bump that to 3%. And in three months, we'll bump that to 4%. And it was interesting to see as the, as the debt went down and the giving went up, we were able to achieve that 10%. And it really experienced a new joy in giving through that. And then later, even, wow, all these friends who are going on the mission field or working for nonprofits, we can actually select some of them and give to them consistently as well because there's this joy sort of in giving, something I could never do before. And, um, and so I would, I would recommend that to some who are saying, I want to give, but I literally can't right now. I have all these bills and I have all these debts and I'm really strapped and to, to do that would just send me under. And, and so I'm not, I'm not going to be one who's going to get up here and say, well, you just give that 10% and God's going to give you 100% back. You know, I don't, I don't think that's how it works. But I do believe that God wants you to experience freedom in this and so that if you can make a plan to consistently give and, and maybe similar to what I described or something different. Um, and there's probably a lot of people that you could talk to at your church, um, whether it be pastors or leaders or just, um, you know, at our church we have, we have a ton of just people that are so wise with money and they're willing to give sort of like free advice uh, to folks who, who need it at times. Um, and who have these kind of goals. But uh, the point is, um, our hearts will get there as we implement some of these um, plans in our lives. And as you do this, you're going to face some obstacles. Um, There's going to be times where it does get hard, even, even with a plan, even with wisdom, even with seeking counsel from the Lord and others. And in those instances, I will say, you know, trust the Lord. Um, I can't guarantee anything that he would do because God is God. But I can tell you in in our own lives, again, I remember um, Chris and I had some unexpected bills that arose and some things that happened. And we were trying to give consistently and we were facing a a real challenge. Like, how are we going to keep doing this right now? And I remember my wife, she, uh, she wrote in her prayer journal, And she showed it to me that morning, and she wrote this. um, I need you, Lord. I need to hope in you, walk with you, rely on you, and you alone. Please water these dry bones, Lord. That's, you know. Um, But then she says, breathe life into my soul. I need you so much. And then she specifically wrote this. Please, Lord, provide today uh, $2,000 for bills, house repairs, and other things needed, like shoes for Gabe, etc., so it was interesting. Um, that afternoon, we got an uh, envelope in the mail from some friends who lived out of town we hadn't talked to for a while. And inside the envelope was a little note, and it just said, we were praying for you guys, and we just felt the Lord lead us to send this to you. And it was a check for $2,000. So literally, as my wife is praying that morning, um, the check was literally on the way because God had already put it on the hearts of our friends uh, to give. Now, 
I'm not suggesting you test God and say, well, you got to do this all the time or I'll just spend like, you know. What I'm saying is God is involved in our lives. He's the owner of all that there is. He also owns us. And he's an, he's an owner with a generous heart. He loves us dearly. He knows even the hairs on our head, we're told. Um, and God will be there to help us through um, this type of commitment. And so, so again, regularly, proportionally, in community, bring others into your journey. Um, maybe it's, you know, others you can trust, maybe who are fellow strugglers. Again, those who have wisdom, maybe who you can seek advice from. But um, it's, it's hard to do it on, on our own. And there are ministries that um, you can, you know, uh, Financial Peace University, Crown Ministries that churches offer. And you can go to a website and find another church that offers it if it's not yours. But these things are also um, very helpful. So, hey, with that, I just want um, to close us in prayer. And uh, I just want us to remember the generous heart of God. So would you just join me for a moment? Father God, we thank you that you truly are um, a God who is generous with us. And all that we see in the created universe and world, when we think about the things in life we can enjoy, uh, the relationships we can enjoy, and when we think about Christ crucified, hanging on a cross on our behalf, knowing everything about us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you've resurrected and you've generously given us eternal life through repentance and faith. You've generously given us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just want to open our hands to you and surrender it all and just say, God, you are the owner. We are the stewards. And would you lead and guide us to live a life rich in good works, generous and ready to share for your glory and purposes and the good of others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, men, thank you so much for your time. And we do have about 10 minutes. So if you guys, yeah, want to ask some questions or maybe just come up front or whatever, I'd be happy to do that. So thank you.